Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, we bring together folks from four independent media companies in Canada to talk about what they're doing and the state of the media business. You don't want to miss this. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Oftentimes we talk about the great value of independent media in the context of wanting to get you to support True North, which we absolutely do want you to do and continue to do. But one thing that I I think sets independent journalists in Canada apart from mainstream media journalists is that we tend to be a lot more collegial uh, with each other than, than I think the mainstream media folks are. And a lot of the times I've had people from what would be ostensibly competing outlets on because I always view us more as colleagues where we're still a minority. So we have to stick together. I, I say, I think colleagues is a better descriptor than competitors. So I thought, let's just have a whole bunch of these folks on at once. We do things a bit differently on the Friday show and tackle a, a big issue, a big question and drill down into it with a, a panel of experts. Today, I figure we'll go big with a look at independent media in Canada. And we've assembled a couple of the big players here. We've got Sheila Gun. Reed from Rebel News, Derek Fildebrandt from the Western Standard, and Roberto Wakerel Cruz from the Post Millennial. Uh, Sheila, Roberto, Derek, great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, it's uh, thanks for the opportunity. I'm really excited. I'm offended I wasn't asked earlier. <laughs> well, you're here now. It's it's not how you start, but but how you finish. I, I want to start with you, Sheila, because I think you and I have like the mother of all independent media stories that I, I know we've told a number of times, but I think we need to talk about it again. Very briefly, we uh, met up uh, separately together. We were each going for our own respective outlets in London, England to cover a couple of years back the Global Conference for Media Freedom, which was co-hosted by Canada. And at that conference, Christian Freeland, who's making this big uh, stink about being the champion of global press freedom, literally tried to exclude you and I from her press conference. Uh, All of the other mainstream media journalists, to their credit, from CBC and The Globe and Al Jazeera English and CTV and Global, said, we're not covering your press conference unless you let Sheila and Andrew in. So it was a really heartwarming moment. We got to cover the story. The sky didn't fall. The world didn't end. Uh, But but it it ended up being rather fleeting. The, The Liberal government went back to banning independent media. You and I have not been able to cover their campaigns. And and a lot of the mainstream media folks who who stood up for us in that moment, their outlets have not really been advocates for anyone else accessing uh, media and accessing government. So where do you think at the top level we are in this country? And and how do you and and Rebel fit into this landscape of, of independent media? Well, going back to your anecdote there, I think that those people stood up for us because we were in Europe, and I think they were the European correspondents. I'm not so sure if that same thing had happened in Canada, those people would have stood up for us. Um, And we know that that's the case, because they have never said that, um, that we should be allowed to report on the leaders' debates. Um, We've had to sue twice and win twice to get into those. Um, But with regard, where are we in the media landscape, the state of um, journalistic freedom, I think it's never been worse. And the fact that is that it is so terrible seems completely normal to the journalists within all of this. They don't think that there's anything wrong 
with the federal government being their paymaster. They don't think that there's anything wrong with a prospective uh, sort of internet censorship, a ministry of truth by another name, bureaucracy coming to regulate what independent news networks say on the internet. They don't think there's anything wrong with that. And they look at us uh, sort of with disdain because they don't know why we won't just shut up and get with the program. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think one of the great things to see about even just the four outlets we have represented here today is how none of that's really stymied the success and growth we've seen. And I'll go to you on this, Roberto, because the post-millennial has not just expanded vastly within Canada and doing podcasts and, and news reporting, but also a lot in, in the U.S. as well. And in fact, I think a lot of staff and, and readers are in the U.S. So how do you view, I mean, at the that top level, the state of, of independent media in Canada, but also uh, what post-millennial is doing in that space. Uh, in Canada, the post-millennial, I mean, our game plan from the beginning was just to try to reach as many people as we could with as simple a message and to provide a voice that isn't provided by the other major players with CTV, Global, and CBC, and basically all the rest. They're all basically the same kind of beast that you can't really differentiate one from the other. I mean, there is no real difference in what they stand for in any of that. Um, obviously, in the U.S., the media landscape is a little bit different. There is much more of a right-wing representation in media, but we do have a bit of an outsider perspective. We have Canadians that cover American news, which is uh, a little bit odd. I know for sure that uh, Canadians aren't so gung-ho about, uh, say, Americans covering their news, and that's something we definitely try to avoid. But uh, when it goes the other way around, it does provide a perspective. I mean, there's been so many, I, I can list off of uh, plenty that come to mind of Canadian uh, commentators that do American news. And I don't know if it's just because the more right-wing Canadians are forced to go to a space where their voices are more welcome. That could be part of it, but uh, it also might just be the outsider thing. And that's something that I think plays to our advantage. And it wasn't something that I think we initially had in mind was to go into the U S but uh, the more that we started to do it, the more we realized that there was space for us there. And uh, that's, that's part of the game plan now. I mean, it's, it's going well for us. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Let's go to you, Derek. Same question. What What's the state of the the landscape here, if you if you will, and and how are you and in, in the work that you're doing at Western Standard filling that? I I've probably got a bit of a different. Uh, uh, I guess I come at this from a different angle than maybe uh, Sheila or Roberto, because uh, I'm I'm a publisher. I I am not a reporter. Uh, no one in their right mind would believe that I am a fair, objective, and balanced reporter. Uh, I'm a, I'm a publisher. And so for me, uh, I, I wear a few hats. Um, I have the operational side, the business side running uh, under us. And then, and then we've got the editorial side. We've got separate opinion and news divisions there. Um, from a press freedom perspective, uh, I, don't, I think this is probably the darkest point since at least the Second World War for, uh, for press freedom in Canada. I think you and Sheila and Roberto have, have spoken to that well, and I don't need to repeat it. Um, but at the same time, I, I look at this from a business perspective and the mainstream media, they're, they're the candle and, uh, they're, and, and the light bulb has been invented for 30 years now. Mm -hmm. The federal government is subsidizing the light bulb, uh, sorry, the, the candle 30 years after the light bulb has been invented. But there is no saving what they have in the long term. Inevitably, they will die. The market has selected them for termination. And all they're doing is uh, they're, they're a patient 
um, that's uh, feeding through a hose right now. That hose is government subsidies. Um, these subsidies might, in the best case scenario for the mainstream players, it might uh, keep them alive long enough to eventually make a transition uh, to the new reality of the marketplace. Uh, but it's, it's the, you know, monopolies and oligopolies destroy themselves in the end. Uh, and, you know, from where me and Sheila are sitting in Alberta, all four major daily papers are owned by mm -hmm. a single company. Um, you know, so I, I'm writing a chapter on a book, in a book right now, uh, kind of dealing with Canadian politics broadly, and I'm writing on the media and trying to, so I put a lot of thought into breaking, breaking this down. Um, the Edmonton Journal, for example, has, they read 100% of the Edmonton Journal's readers get their news from someone who has nothing to do with Edmonton. Mm -hmm. uh, they're getting it from a wire service like Canadian Press, uh, or they're getting it from a pooled uh, post-media correspondent on Parliament Hill. Uh, but people who are extremely unlikely to have anything to do with Edmonton and all four major dailies in Alberta are the exact same thing, word for word. They're just the, you know, Rick Bell might be in the Sun and Don Braid might be in the Herald and that, that's the end of the difference. Um, and, the, and then you have a similar media landscape in other provinces. Alberta might be particularly hyper-concentrated, but it's going to be similar in other provinces. And um, the light bulbs on the show here today, I think, representing uh, probably a, a very large segment of the alternative or independent media, however we want to define that, um, were market disruptors. Um, yeah. you, you, can't, you can't stop Uber once it's been invented. There's no putting the genie back in the bottle. So while press freedom might be at an all-time low in Canada, um, I'm, extreme, I'm actually quite optimistic for, uh, for the future of independent and alternative media uh, because it's, it's, it's a simple market force of nature that government cannot stop. Well, and, and to, sorry to just jump in. I, I'm sure, Andrew, you're trying to keep us on track, but uh, this had me thinking about just the collegial nature of this conversation, that we are competitors. Derek and I compete against each other in Alberta to some extent, and we compete with uh, Post Millennial through some of our quick hit stories, um, and we compete with True North through some of our investigative journalism. But there's a space for all of us in this because we also do something a little bit different than everybody else. And that is that we, as Derek says, we're disruptors. We are a crowdfunded model. Derek, you do traditional journalism, which is great, which, you know, from, from the places where the journalism happens, likewise with Roberto. And I think we, we serve to fill a void. We exist in the vacuum left by the failures of the mainstream media. So not only do we do news at Rebel News, news and commentary, we do journalism from on the ground where, you know, like the CBC said, oh, it's too dangerous to do journalism during the time of COVID. So we're not doing local journalism anymore. And we're like, okay, great. We'll do it. Thank you very much. <laughs> and and um, it, we do something a little bit different here at Rebel News that I don't think any of us, any of the rest of you do. And that is when we see a problem, we try to fix a problem. And so um, again, that makes us disruptors in the space, as Derek points out, that um, it's not for us, it's just not enough to talk about the issue. Although sometimes when you talk about the issue, like with all things, you measure it, you change it. Um, but I think that's why the dinosaur media look at us like we have three heads. Is they just, you know, that they're, as Derek points out, they're protected from those market forces. They mm -hmm. don't have to correct the problem because right. Justin Trudeau's like, 
here's some money. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Yeah. And I want to talk about the, the independence aspect of this and, and the business model. And I, I will get back to it, but I, I first want to jump or dovetail on, on your point about rebel being a fixer in, in some ways. And I, I want to go to you on this, Roberto, because genuinely speaking, independent media tend to have uh, approached journalism or climate. And I'm using the broadest sense of that, including in that podcast and reporting and opinion journalism and column writing, all of that. Independent media tend to be taking a, a very different approach to journalism than traditional media outlets are. And and you get a lot of people in traditional media that, that just reject that outright, that are saying, no, you're not a journalist, we are. But, but this is a, a change that I, I think people in audiences are okay with. It, it's just the traditional media folks trying to hold on to their monopoly that seem to not like it. Yeah, the audiences obviously love it. I mean, the audiences love what we do, and we see that every day. We get tons of engagement, tons of interactions, and people read our articles. The the establishment types look at our type of content and call it uh, conservative pamphleteering, as was written in the CBC in an attack piece that uh, obviously cited one of their experts. I can't, uh, it was Alan Conter <laughs> who decided to call us uh, conservative pamphleteers pamphleteers obviously if you just look up alan contra you find out that he was an executive producer at cbc for years in the 90s so not the most objective voice but yeah so the media people don't like it but our audiences do and that's really what's important i mean we have a space we're growing still uh we've been around for uh, since august of 2017 i believe and we're, we're, we're doing just fine and i wanted to just talk about something that um i think sheila touched on that we are all competitors but I think it would be such a crying shame if anything happened to any of the outlets here, not just <laughs> us, there's more. But uh, I, while we all compete with one another, I, I want nothing but success for our independent voices because we provide something I think that's really valuable, that has uh, you know space to grow and people really like it. And I mean, that's the market uh, and it's good. It's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I love nothing more than when we get to, you know, run a story at True North as, as first reported by Western Standard or, you know, as first reported by Rebel or Post Millennial. I mean, sometimes I say, oh, those jerks, I was trying to work on that and I couldn't close. They, they got it. But but we also get joy out of seeing the, the same in the inverse, seeing uh, our stories be picked up by each other. And, and, and I remember uh, to go back to uh, something that Ezra Levant, the publisher of Rebel, did some years ago. He was covering the Tommy Robinson trial in, in the United Kingdom. And, and rather than just just sending the the entire rebel crew over there he actually brought uh, people from different outlets and I, I was fortunate enough to be one of them and his rationale I thought was quite sound what was you know let's actually have more voices that are talking about these issues rather than just one outlet with one voice because every now and then people will say oh you should merge with so-and-so or merge with so-and-so I say no I, I'd rather have you know five different news stories uh, that are published by five different outlets covering something from from the perspective of Liberty than just one and then up against the mainstream media narrative, because uh, Derek, to your point, I mean, there there is a, a there is a dying aspect of, of traditional media, but there still is a, a, a very large footprint. Yeah. Um, so for your statement, and also what uh, what Sheila said, we're all we're all referring to Sheila. I don't I don't know how Sheila made herself co-host here. Um, <laughs> so you know, we are competitors. But we're much less competitors than, say, Tor Star is with Post Media, because they're doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, one is slightly more center right than the other one's center left, or maybe harder left. Uh, but they're essentially the same thing. Um, you know, I think all of the media outlets on here would bro broadly be classified as at least 
consumed more by people on the right side of things. Uh, but we're all offering fairly different products. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Rebel does their own thing. They do crowdsourcing and they, uh, they do fix-it journalism. Now, that's different from what we do. Sure. That doesn't mean I don't think it's a good idea or I think it's bad. I think it's great. I want them doing that. But they're offering a different product from the Western Standard. We've tried to find a space for ourselves, which is sort of between the mainstream media and between the independent alternative. We have a somewhat mainstream presentation, but we cover issues and we cover angles that are ignored by the mainstream. I primarily hire uh, ex-mainstream media journalists. Um, On the other side of the wall behind my computer screen here is a room filled with the exiles of the Calgary Sun. The Calgary... I de facto, I own the old Calgary Sun. I, I've, I've hired the best people from the Calgary Sun. They're not there anymore, with the exception of maybe uh, Rick Bell. He's the only he's the only Calgary Sun journalist anyone can name left. Um, so I I, t- I hire for the most part. I got people from Global, Chorus, Post Media, um, the former Sun. Or for, I say former Sun. So it does. Sorry, there is still the Sun. I just say former Sun because I think is I there. Am. The old guard of the sun. Yeah. Uh, well, there is something called the sun, which is real, you know, just another, it's a, just a different uh, tabloid form of post media. But uh, we offer something. The post millennial offers, um, you know, a very edgy, digital, social media savvy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the, like the, the, I, I think the post millennial is probably the best in translating their issues yep. through social media. They beat us at that. The rebel kind of beats us at video. I think our strength is in the written word, like a newspaper, just online. Um, we're trying to get better at both of these to catch up to you guys on the other fronts, but we're offering different products. Whereas Torstar, um, Post Media, Black Press, they're offering, they're, you know, Globe and Mail, they're offering essentially the same product. So they're, they're competing for a small, finite pie of advertising dollars and subscribers Whereas our people will, I, I've, we, we have members at the Western Center that are rebel subscribers, post-millennial sure. subscribers, and they, they're not thinking, oh, I can only do one or do the other because they're getting completely different products, even if mm-hmm. they're sometimes speaking to a similar audience. And sorry, yeah, I, I just have to say that you completely sidestepped True North and me when you were dishing out your compliments. So you'll, you'll never be back. But uh, thank you. Anyway. <laughs> so rude, Derek. Yeah, I know. So rude. So I was waiting. I was like, oh, what's he got for me? And then he just like moves on. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, Roberto. Actually, I'll put in like on like for actually like we, we just launched the Corey Morgan show last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's me trying to do as good a job as uh, Andrew Lawton show. Andrew Lawton's got like the best talk show in Canada mm-hmm. right now. Okay, you're back on. I'm uh, back on. <laughs> Thank God. We're, we're good. That's all That's all I wanted. You're going to kick me off now uh, because ahead, I'm trying to make sure Corey Morgan's got the best show. <laughs> like, you're, you're national. Corey Morgan is in the West. In, in Alberta, since Daniel Smith got off the air, Alberta has zero conservative talk radio. It does mm-hmm. not exist. There's and nothing. so I see a vacuum there the way I saw a vacuum for print or digital print media uh, with the Western Standard. We're trying to now fill it there. So we're trying to emulate what you're doing, Andrew, because you've established a great, irreverent, um, really fun, free-flowing talk show, uh, not to blow too much up your ass here, but, um, you know, e- each has got its niche here. And, uh, and, and that's why, I, I, while we are competitors, it's a very uh, collegial uh, c- competition because we're offering very different products. Yeah. Uh, could I just say something, too, is that while it seems like they're getting worse, that it seems like we're getting actually better at what we do. Obviously, Post Millennial is new. 
we're still learning our way around the block a little bit. But when you go on CBC and just read what they're saying and what they're putting out, these articles that are so out of touch from what regular people like. I mean, they put an article out that went down underneath everyone's radar because nobody reads them. Just saying that Joe Rogan uses horse dewormer, uh, saying that uh, black women should should be working from home because they're protected from microaggressions. Yep. <laughs> and that, uh, you know, that black women have battle fatigue from getting questions about their hair. I, I mean, these people are so out of touch and they're, they're doubling down on their insanity. Well, it just seems like our message is becoming more and more effective. And honestly, the crazier they get, the better it is sometimes for us because we can point at them and say, look at how crazy those guys are. That's that's who we, we're competing against. Why? Why are we doing that? These people are nuts. <laughs> you know, I, I tell our team all the time we exist because the mainstream media is so terrible. Yeah. And so, you know, you go to these yeah. places and they're they're often a little bit prickly, the mainstream media, when we actually get allowed into places and they sort of look down their nose a little bit at you. But I wouldn't be there if they were better. So if they right. want me to go away, please get better. That's all. Just try to be better. And maybe there wouldn't be a space for me, but they're not ones to adjust their behavior based on viewer feedback now, are they? Yeah, I, I want to jump in on this, actually, because one challenge in Canada and in the U.S., it's very different because media criticism is a, a big thing in the U.S. You've got cable news shows that have entire staff positions dedicated to watching other news outlets and then reporting on their reporting. It's that idea of, of who minds the minders. And a, a lot of that is, I think, very incestuous and, and overly introspective. But I, I do think there is a, a place for it, for actually serving as a bit of a check on media coverage, especially since they're so quick to jump in with their Facebook fact checks and, and all of these other things and, and denounce things that in many cases are, are true. But even just pointing out the tone that media is taking, like just this is just one example from the last couple of days, a, a CBC story, gender fluid dressing could lead to renaissance in fashion, says advocate. Now, Setting aside that media outlets can cover whatever they want, this is CBC, the state broadcaster, one point however much billion dollars in funding to learn about the gender-fluid fashion trend, probably not money well spent, I, I would say. But for the most part, even if people didn't like that, no one would ever challenge CBC. No one would ever report on CBC funding, about the decline in the CBC audience, about all of these things that are part of it. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Derek, the only people that really pay attention to a lot of these things and the problems in the media status quo are independent outlets. Yeah, the one exception uh, was briefly Sun News Network in its in its time. Yes, yeah, that's fair. I mean, uh, they 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 went after the CBC so often that even I almost got sick of it. It was it was <laughs> glorious. Um, but you know what that that experiment proved is that uh, if you're going to operate in a media form, uh, if you're going to use a medium of media uh, that requires government licensing. It's highly unlikely that, uh, disruptors, especially non-establishment, uh, disruptors are going to be successful for Sun News Network to have been successful. They needed to get mandatory carriage license just to have an even playing field with the CBC, CTV, Global, Omni, million things in Quebec. Um, it, it, it didn't work out and they, they were offering an alternative, even though they were, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to, you know, Sun News Network and Fox News are hard to classify because they're kind of mainstream because they're big and corporate, 
but they shy away from being considered mainstream. So they're, they're kind of hard to pigeonhole in a sense. Um, but the, the real lesson from Sun News Network was that um, if there's going to be disruptors, they're going to have to be uh, aggressive upstarts. They're going to have to, you know, they might, they might, you know, we've, uh, we've managed to achieve a bit of investment in us, but uh, it, it's not a ton. We started with nothing. Um, I, and I think it's a similar story for everybody else on this panel, the organizations they're representing. Uh, well, the rebel itself was born out of the ashes of Sun News Network. Uh, I remember Ezra sending out a tweet more or less saying, screw you guys, I'm starting my own media with blackjack and hookers. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I was like, well, there's Ezra being Ezra. And then, then look what happened. I, I, I couldn't believe what happened. It, like the rebel became huge. Um, so the, these things have to be uh, a combination of genuinely independent. They have to be they have to be underdogs, I think, to succeed. You're not going to succeed by, um, like, the National Post was a valiant attempt under Conrad Black to take on the mainstream media, uh, but that and that got cut up in all sorts of corporate controversy. And now, Post Media is probably the least bad of the big guys. It's actually it's got a few bright spots that that right in there on their opinion side, but their their news side is just mainstream pablum repeating the same crap. Uh, not doing much. So, and, and but I, I would I would take from that even if they were exactly where you wanted them to be on content, the problems that you outlined earlier on on business model are, are and ownership are, are still going to be there. And and I, I think the the demise of Sun and the start of Rebel is a, a good way to talk about the business model. And I'll I'll go to you on on this first, Sheila, because I, I know that one of the things Rebel did very uniquely, because we're talking about 2015 when when Rebel was built in in Ezra's living room and has since grown considerably from there, it was entirely not dependent on uh, the traditional infrastructure of mandatory carriage of the CRTC. It was based on donations, on subscriptions, and on some advertising. But I, I don't think advertising is is that big a, a, a part of, of revenue, if I'm not mistaken. So you, you've got people that believe in it and want to put some money there and people that want to get access to some premium content. And since then, we've seen aspects of that in other work. I know that Post Millennial has its subscription models. I know that uh, Western Standard does and, and all of this and, and True North is a bit different because we're structured as a charity, but even then a very unique business model that, that's not dependent on, on the old way of doing things. Because the, the problem with the bailouts and Derek mentioned this before, uh, apart from just the morally wrong aspect of it, is that there's no off-ramp. The, these are basically now part of the indefinite existence of, of these outlets. So independent media is doing something that traditional media could do. And elsewhere they are. The Guardian, for example, is asking readers to support its work by donating. But in Canada, no one's doing that. They're still sticking to this thing that's not working and then going to the government cap in hand. Well, and I, I also appreciate when the mainstream media journalists sort of look down their smug noses about us when we ask our viewers and our subscribers to support us. They say, ugh. And then they look at Justin Trudeau with their little <laughs> tin cup and shake it at him. No, okay, sorry to interrupt, but you're right about that. The judgment to crowdfunding, I, I don't I don't understand it at all. They're saying like, oh, you're you're asking people for money. I'm like, what what is you know every person every news outlet with a newspaper sales department doing? Yeah, well, and, and it's it's I think Rebel was sort of born out of whatever that Sun News did that failed. 
so being tied to sort of those old terrestrial ways of doing television, but also the things that we are fundamentally opposed to morally and ethically, like taking government handouts. Those were the two things that sort of created how Rebel was born. So we're not going to take money from um, the government, but also we're not going to be beholden to big corporate interests or any one super investor, because then that can sort of sway your reporting. So the more independent, the smaller the donations are, the more honest we are and the more independent we are, but also going directly to YouTube at the time before YouTube became a censorship platform, um, you know, it went around all those reasons why the Sun News Network failed. But uh, and also addressing the issue of um, the things you see in the mainstream media, Andrew, that you brought up and you're like, nobody cares about this stuff. And <laughs> Roberto, you too, when you talked about, you know, I, we actually talked about that same story on the live stream this morning, the, how you have to work from home because your Ouch. white colleagues, your white colleagues are super racist about your hair so or something. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, I saw an article the other day about how climate change is, um, going to give you, kidney stones, and then a similar article in a similar vein a couple of months ago, how it was giving koalas STDs. There's really nothing climate change can't do. But the reason for this awful journalism is because not only is it being, uh, you know, it's being bailed out, so there's no market correction, but it's actively being incentivized. So part of some of the media subsidies are grants to local newspapers and local news outlets for climate change journalism. So when you're like reading in your local Sherwood Park news like me, and I'm like, no, nobody cares about this stuff. This is nonsense. Koalas. We don't even have koalas, let alone koalas with STDs. The reason that's in your newspaper is because the liberals paid a journalist, gave Post Media a grant to have a journalist write it. Yeah. No, I, I think you're you're very right to point that out. I was trying to think of some like koala STD pun, and I couldn't come up with one in time. So <laughs> it'll, it'll come in the after show, I guess. Uh, Roberto, Post Millennial has dealt with the the revenue thing very acutely. I, I know it's been a victim of its own success in some ways, targeted by a lot of these uh, very left wing activist groups trying to demonetize it, get advertisers to cancel, and and some of these groups have had some success with Post Millennial getting advertisers to say no. I know Breitbart was targeted back in the day. Uh, how has that actually been uh, realistically? Because I, kn I know they claim victory and, you know, make it seem like they've shut you down if they get someone to say, yeah, I'm going to spend $5 elsewhere. But but does that actually make a dent? It's annoying. It's incredibly annoying. Uh, you know, this all started a little while back by, uh, I can't remember the exact activist name, uh, Chad something that he started to go after Surfshark, uh, accusing one of our journalists or editor at large, Andy No, of uh, providing kill lists for white supremacists or some other insane claim, obviously untrue. And Surfshark uh, just, you know, did not have our backs and just decided to, you know, part ways with us. That opened this whole can of worms. We got a target on our back, this lady that's now just going after us. Uh, and messaging all of our sponsors and advertisers saying that we are neo-Nazis, which is, again, just ridiculous, has absolutely no merit. And it, it's annoying. But uh, obviously, um, when a challenge appears, you 
assess the situation and you try to adjust. And we have, I mean, we've done a really good job. We've been asking for support through donations and subscriptions. And uh, for the most part, it's actually worked quite a bit. I mean, we don't have the infinite tap of uh, government, government money that places like the CBC have. I mean, just, <laughs> just before this interview, I was just having fun going through the CBC's CBC kids, uh, which Don't. is one of the worst things I've ever seen. And this is what you can do with unlimited government money. I mean, there was, I, I was just looking at one cause I couldn't remember if I remembered it right. This is a little unrelated, but it was a story about, I think Megan the stallion, this rapper accused Tory Lanez, a rapper of like beating her or something. And they ran that story on the same day, the Falcon nine went to space. <laughs> so we have unlimited government money. You can do all that. That's a little unrelated, but we don't, we can't, we have, we have to rely on our audience, our base, and um, I mean, our, we have an audience and a base that likes us and support us. And when they see psychos going after us, they go, hey, what? The, they didn't do anything wrong. They're nice. I like those guys. They report us news that you guys don't do. And you guys are psychos and crazies. Uh, so people are usually kind of willing to throw in two, three, five bucks. And it helps. It goes a long way. And it's a sustainable model. And uh, I mean, if we have to continue to adjust, then we will. I mean, you can throw anything at us, it feels like. And we will find a way to survive. I mean, we're, we're adamant here. And I think at all your guys' place too, True North Rebel for sure, and uh, <laughs> Western. Yeah. Yeah. One, one interesting thing, and I should say, by the way, I mean, this is obviously a, a more right-leaning panel. The independent media is not limited to small-c conservatism or libertarianism or anything like that. Black Locks Reporter is very equal opportunity in its reporting. There are also outlets on the left like Passage and Rabble and, you know, all of these places where, again, I may not like their their, their bias, but I, I would still very much support their press freedom. I, I think they're adding a, a much-needed diversity into the landscape. Oftentimes, they haven't wanted to cooperate on that. They haven't understood that uh, their press freedom is our press freedom, but that is on them. One area where I, I have to toot our, our collective horns on this, and I, and I want to talk to you about this first, Derek, is that as much as we tend to be accused of, of being conservative mouthpieces, oftentimes big C, uh, that has never been further from the truth. And I think uh, small C conservative politicians, big C conservative politicians as well, I uh, hate in some ways that there are conservative media outlets because it opens up a whole new flank that they need to defend against. Because when when we criticize, whether it's Aaron O'Toole or Jason Kenney or Doug Ford, we're doing it in a way that I think is a lot more in, in alignment with where their issues are. And, and one big example of this is the 2020 conservative leadership race, the post-debate scrum was questions about, it. one of the debates, 50% of the questions were about abortion. And in the other debate, 50% of the questions asked in the scrum were about systemic racism. These are not the issues that conservative voters tend to care about. And, and I know that when Jason Kenney uh, has to be uh, defending a story in the Western Standard or uh, True North or Rebel or, or Post Millennial, same as Aaron O'Toole, that's a lot of the time a lot harder for them. Yeah. Uh, do you know how many times Jason Kenney's taken uh, questions from Western Standard reporters? Never. Zero. Really? He has never, wow. ever once, uh, unless I'm mistaken, ever taken a single question from one of our reporters. Because I get questions in and I'm not even in Alberta. Uh, well, you're nicer than me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he, um, you know, not, not, it's not just Jason Kenney, but uh, a lot of big C conservative politicians are extremely sensitive about that. Because just mm -hmm. uh, imagine this is a press conference uh, and I'm politician xyz and uh the cbc asked me a question uh you know or uh jason why did you uh cut this important social program why do you hate children 
And then, uh, you know, the traditional conservative response is, well, we didn't cut it. We've just reallocated a few uh, uh, resources within the department to make it more efficient. We've increased spending, actually. We love, we love children. Then if the next question is, uh, Premier, why, did, why aren't you cutting this wasteful boondoggle of a program? He can't then turn around and say, you know what? We did cut it. We eliminated it. That was a wasteful thing. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing left. We, we burned it to the ground. Well, that, that's the problem with funding a war on two fronts. Most uh, in both military or, or in politics, you would rather have two enemies on one side than one enemy on one side and another enemy on another. Now, and the problem is a lot of these big C pol uh, conservative politicians view independent media that is, you know, speaking to more of a center-right audience as an enemy, and they mm -hmm. shouldn't be. They should view it as just another voice in the media. If they're smart, they can see it as creating space. But uh, most, uh, at least outside of leadership races, tend to view it uh, as an enemy. Uh, you've probably noticed when there's a leadership race on, conservative politicians are really nice to you because you're speaking to the people they need to vote to make them leaders. And they'll, they'll say all sorts of things and they'll say all sorts of policies like <clears throat> carbon tax uh, during a leadership race. And then once that's over, well, they don't want to deal with that anymore. They want to fight on a single front. Yeah, well, Aaron O'Toole and CBC defunding, which has uh, never been spoken of again since the leadership race. That's, that's free completely speech. Dead. Um, so I, I think that's a that's a common dynamic to this. Um, but also then there's you know with, with you know you know Sheila and Roberto were talking about this. Um, you know the the condescending view of some of the mainstream media towards independent media. I, I think a lot of that is around crowdfunding and I can sort of see where they're coming from th uh, things, but I, I think they're looking at it the wrong way. Um, like Western standard, we don't do crowdfunding except in very limited circumstances, like our student journalism program, mm -hmm. or if someone sues us or something, but uh, it's not a regular thing. It's not a part of our business model. We don't budget a dollar for it, uh, in our budget every year, any year. Uh, but, uh, we don't have it. We don't judge media that do do crowdfunding they're being open about what they're doing with it they're being open about their motives um we rely you know somewhat on advertising uh but we we sell our advertisements directly i was speaking to someone i won't name the media outlet but one of the big mainstream ones uh just yesterday and they were their mind was blown that we actually sell advertising directly and it was blowing my mind that what do you mean you guys just stop selling your own ads now maybe that's a big part of it um but we sell our ads directly we generally find uh, corporate partners that at least somewhat align in our values. So it's, it's, it's got at least some, it, it might not be cancel proof, but it's, it, it's cancel protected uh, or, or insulated. Um, but a, a lot of the snobbery is also if you don't have a physical print magazine. So behind me here, Western Standard was a print magazine at one point until 2007. Before that, there was the Alberta Report, our predecessor. Um, it, it just doesn't m make sense to do. I've had a lot of people say, especially old people in rural Alberta mm -hmm. say, Derek, you got to bring back that print magazine like Ted Bidefield had, who, who just passed a moment of, let, let's just take a moment of respect for the godfather of independent journalism in Canada. Yes. Mm -hmm. The Ted Byfield and all of the Byfields after him, um, they, they really were the foundation of independent media in Canada long before that was even a term. Um, but it's about, you, you have to, we just need to be open about what our business models are. We were, we have, we're somewhat of a hybrid between the mainstream and the alternatives. 
But a lot of the snobbery that comes is if you don't have a physical paper and the physical papers are losing the mainstream guys money. The problem is in, in their worldview, you're not a real publisher unless you've got paper or you're on the CR, a CRTC approved low number dial channel on television. If you don't have one of those two things, you're not real media. And, and so that old, very archaic view of what is real media uh, is not just the snobbery that comes through on their journalistic level, it translates to very bad business decisions on their operational level. And, and it's, it's for, for both uh, that, that bleeding of that snobbery or, um, or status that comes with having that, that CRTC channel or having that physical newspaper, um, it, it, um, it damages their editorial content and it, and it, I think, even more seriously damages their business because they're not willing to cut ties uh, with those dying business models. Roberto, do you think that is a hurdle, that, that credibility hurdle is one that will just naturally resolve as generations shift and as the people that demand the, the brick-and-mortar office and the print publication eventually you know, move on from their earthly existence? Or, or do you think that this is something that independent media needs to tackle now, assert its credibility and legitimacy to, to grow and, and to get to that ne next level? Yeah, probably the latter. I don't think it's just going to go away. It definitely is going to take work uh, and effort to prove that we belong in this space because uh, uh, as of right now, I mean, people yeah, look, just look down at us from where they're standing. So, I, I mean, it's going to take work. I think we're getting there. I think the more space that we take up, the more that we're hard to ignore. Um, and that's exactly what I think we need to keep doing. I mean, it's working. I, I, I think we've all had... Uh, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but I think we've all had pretty good years. I mean, the post millennials had a great year and we're looking to keep going. Uh, there's, there's nothing that uh, credibility will come. There, there's going to be a time where people have to admit that we're doing something that works and you can't ignore that forever. That's really it. There's not too much else to add. You just got to keep working. And uh, eventually, you know, they laugh at first, but then it's, it's hard to ignore. Well, and, and I mean, the proof is just seeing how many stories I write that come out two or three days later in CBC and the Toronto Star. And, and, and they may not be copying me. Like, they may have independently, because again, I, I don't think I have a huge staple of CBC reporters that are following my work. But, but even then, they're either copying and just completely ripping it off, or they're just late to the party. Either way, that's a sign that we're doing real work here. And I know, Sheila, this, this is, I don't know if you've just like make notches on the wall in your studio or something but I, this has happened to you countless times hasn't it so many times <laughs> on so many big stories like that's the thing i don't think we have to worry about credibility because the mainstream media already thinks we're credible enough to poach our stories from that's true you, you, you know they think we're credible enough i think some of the uh, smugness about us might be jealousy about the freedom that we have we have the freedom to speak our minds honestly on the subjects that we care about. For example, I was having a conversation sort of off the record with somebody in mainstream media who doesn't hate my guts. And they were sort of taken aback by the story process at Rebel News. Not that it's, you know, sort of loosey goosey because it's not our second largest cost outside of journalists salaries is lawyers because we have to lawyer everything. Um, but just the pitch process, how journalists pitch their stories to me. I guess in other newsrooms, they go around assigning things. And I, I don't think that that that's not how things work at Rebel News, because I have journalists with different interests who are passionate about certain issues. 
And I let them sort of lead the way on the things that become their beat. And from what I understand at other news places, I don't know, I'm not a trained journalist. I've never worked anywhere else, but that's not how it works. And so for us, I think that the other news agencies are jealous of how free we get to be with our opinions and our thoughts, because I don't think they have that at all. I, I do think on that note, you need to send David Menzies to the Toronto Zoo to talk about koala STDs, though. Oh, you, there's a story where he dressed as a cat one time and it never went to air. It's a long story. I'm not putting David Menzies with animals. It'll just one be of, a catastrophe. Uh, one, of, <laughs> one of my great failings is um, my, my parking spot outside the building here. Um, they asked me for the company name to go on it. And uh, they said, oh, Western Standard's too long. And not thinking very well, I, uh, I sent them a short form, Western STD. So every morning I pull up and I, I have to pull up to my big STD. Uh, it's not, it's, not it, it, it's, it's sort of, a, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed every single morning. I <laughs> the lessons you only need to learn once. Uh, very, very pleased to have all of you joining us. And I, I'm so glad you're doing the work that you're doing. We have on the line from the post-millennial Roberto Wakerl Cruz from Rebel News, Sheila Gunn-Reed, and from the Western Standard. I'll go with the full or uh, to salvage your dignity there, Derek Fildebrandt. Uh, I'm a big fan. I'm a reader. I'm a listener. I'm a subscriber to uh, to all three. And I, I know that we uh, oftentimes benefit greatly from uh, just having this space and building this space that we all get to, uh, to live and play in. So uh, to all three of you, thanks for the work that you're doing and for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot, thanks, Andrew. God thanks, bless. Andrew. That does it for us. We will be back next week with more of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.